0: Welcome to Me and Mary Jane with your host, Patricia A. Patton.
1: So welcome everyone to Me and Mary Jane. This is Patricia A. Patton, Canna Boomer. Today we are joined by Dr. Felicia Dawson. I believe Felicia, there's a middle initial. Let me look. No. Well, no. is there a middle initial?
0: No. Okay. <laughs> L. Yes.
1: We are joined by Dr. Felicia Dawson. She's a medical cannabis advocate, educator, and consultant. She has dual board certification in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as integrative holistic medicine. She, offers. <coughs> sorry, she offers online educational consultations regarding medical cannabis, CBD, and holistic gynecology. And she is a regular contributor to the State of Cannabis News Hour that airs daily on Clubhouse, 9 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Noon East Coast time. Welcome, Dr. Dawson.
0: Thank you for having me, Patricia. I appreciate it. Oh, no, it is really my
1: pleasure. You know, I um, haven't seen you okay. in some time. Uh, of course, I generally am around the edges, sort of stalking people that are of interest to me. So I'm happy to have the opportunity today to chat with you about some of the things I've been thinking about, i.e. redefining wellness. And I've watched you in the industry as a practicing physician who has made a change, you know, into this emerging industry and also, you know, into the blossoming of who you are. So let's get into it, okay? Yes. Where are you from originally?
0: Joliet, Illinois.
1: Joliet, Illinois. And um, where's Joliet?
0: Joliet. Joliet. Oh, where is it in relation Joliet. to the it, city it's, that about, might know? it's about 40 miles southwest of Chicago. There's a, if you saw the Blues Brothers, I think there was a prison in there and that's where the prison is in my city, in the my hometown, Joliet, Illinois. I, I mean, I've
1: heard of Joliet, but I just didn't know exactly where it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so what was that, what was the town life like, you know, growing up? It was a
0: small, it was a small industrial town. Um, it was pretty integrated, a lot of cornfields, a few factories, like the Caterpillar and a steel mill, I believe was there. Um, but it was just a small industrial town and, um, you know i I still didn't want to hang around though I was just anxious to move from the cold weather,
1: yeah, and
0: um the I'm from
1: Seattle, so you know that's where I was born. I grew up there. My people migrated from Pine Bluff, Arkansas to the Pacific Northwest in the forties, and so I'm wondering what was the educational system like in Juliet at the time you were coming up? Did you have? What do you think, like, compared to today?
0: And... Well, I believe we had a good educational system. We, my family, my parents made the decision to put us through private school from ages, from grades one through eight. Um, apparently, I went to public school for kindergarten, and my parents came thankfully i had two involved parents to parent teacher conference and the teacher told them i hate to break it to you but i believe your daughter is gonna need special education because she just sits there and doesn't say anything and my parents were like saying well that's strange what are you teaching her so she showed them what she was teaching me and she they said um you know i I think she's probably bored because she knows all this stuff already perhaps if you challenge her, she would be more active. And, and so that's what she did. And I, I guess perked up and my kindergarten teacher was saying, well, she really should get skipped to first grade because she's uh, too advanced for kindergarten. But my mother is saying, oh no, we want her to stay with her peers. So I stayed there for uh, kindergarten. And I believe I did first grade there as well. But apparently I got switched over to a Catholic school, private school to give us a, a better foundation so that's um, what my 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 um, upbringing was and actually we went to a public high school and we I was in mourning because i was kind of afraid um because they were like i don't know this this place called the hill where some of the more uh, scruffy kids were <laughs> and i was kind of afraid to go to school with the kids from the hill <laughs> cuz they might beat me up uh, because the Catholic school was primarily white. And then it got a little integrated um, as I got further along in it. Um, but that high school I went to, a public high school, same area, um, I'm sorry, Joliet uh, Township was amazing. Um, they also actually had uh, accelerated classes available. So I still was able to be challenged and it was a wonderful Experience. So I I enjoyed my education in Illinois. And my and it's interesting that you say your parents came from the south. My parents did too. Uh, both of my parents came from Alabama and migrated to the north um, in the 50s. So, so my, mother came, my mother probably came up a little earlier, but um yeah. And did they come from the same town
1: or did they meet each Not, other? No, again?
0: no, they they both came from different towns in Alabama and met in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, and then how did you, I know
1: you went to Emory for um, medical school, right?
0: Correct. (laughs) Well, no, undergrad.
1: For undergrad. I went
0: there there for undergrad, yes. Morehouse you went to. I went to Morehouse School of Medicine for medical school. And that was my, yeah.
1: I'm interested to know how did that happen? Like, at what point did you make the decision? Like, when you went to Emory, had you already decided you were going to? Morehouse, or how did that happen?
0: No, I have always we've always come back south to visit relatives since my parents are both from Alabama. So we've always I've always come back and forth uh, down south, and so I was determined to come to college. And so I actually went to University of Alabama in Birmingham for my first year of college. Oh, okay. And then I visited a cousin in Atlanta and got exposed to some serious. Um, um, culture and some uh, dance clubs, and it was just seemed to be head and shoulders above Birmingham. So I said, okay, I think I want to move to Atlanta. And it's like, so what's a good school in Atlanta? And they said, Emory. I said, okay, I'll transfer to Emory. And so I transferred to Emory, and that's that's how I wound up, wound up in Atlanta. And then, you know, I, I met my father's son, and we got married, um, and I but the marriage wasn't working, and I decided to only interview at medical schools that were close to Atlanta because i I felt like if it was if it was me, I would want to stay close to my child. so I made the sacrifice to just interview at medical schools near Atlanta, and you know thankfully, I got into Morehouse School of Medicine mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. now, um in doing my research, I learned that like a lot of other uh, medical doctors, not a lot was taught in medical school about what has become, you know, a great deal of your advocacy work, you know, around plant life, including cannabis, you know? Um, did anyone ever mention it? I know that, that um, Morehouse has an interest now, but was there any mention of it at the time that you were going to, to school?
0: I don't, I don't recall cannabis coming up except for maybe as, and certainly wasn't called cannabis. I mean, they probably made some mention of marijuana being a, a drug, one of many drugs, right. um, but there was no mention of the word cannabis. And I didn't get it truly in at Emory when I went to residency there, because I did, you know, I went to Emory for undergrad, did Morehouse School of Medicine. Then I went back to Emory to specialize in obstetrics and gynecology, and there was no medicinal value being taught about cannabis it was just another drug right um, along with heroin and cocaine so no there was none, none of that now
1: yeah I um when I think about it in terms of my lifespan I mean at no point well, nobody called it cannabis you know it was weed it was marijuana it was you know everything right got, You know, and, you know, I feel that in terms of my lifespan, the whole politics of respectability, you know, prevented people from having any sort of um, intelligent conversation about it as medicine, even as a possibility of Mm -hmm. being medicine. So um, at the point at which you closed your practice, had you already made the decision to investigate uh, this branch of medicine, yes. not yet defined as medicine?
0: Yes, I was already thinking about it because um, Sanjay Gupta did a special on weed. I remember it. And that that is when I got introduced to cannabis as medicine through Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And as I was getting intrigued by cannabis, I was getting so over the, med- the business of medicine, the corporatization of medicine, and just totally burnt out on the whole business side of medicine. Although I, I've always loved teaching patients how to be healthy. I, I never get tired of that. But the business side of it, you know, you f- I felt like I was the mayor of a small town and it was just, you know, having trouble sleeping, um, you know, worried about how, how I'm going to make payroll. It was, it was, it was really starting to wear on me. So I really just got tired of the business part of medicine and that's what moved for me from that to cannabis. So that's how that worked. Interestingly, I
1: have several friends who are doctors who have you know, come to this decision as well, just because it's, it's not even what they contemplated initially as the practice of medicine. And the stress, just as you described, from uh, needing to understand uh, electronic medical systems, pushing numbers through, um, it just isn't worth it for anymore. But the question is, because there's so much attached to the practice, you know, the achievement, was there any sort of emotional baggage that
0: you had to contemplate or deal with?
1: To say I'm not going to practice medicine
0: anymore. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, years—maybe four or five years—before I decided to close the practice, I was going through that because it's like you—you you invest so much time, energy, and money into becoming a physician, and you know, not only are you working hard, you're in debt. Um, and it's like the cost of living and the cost of doing business overhead continuously going up and the insurance companies are constantly trying to down code everything you do it it just was is becoming it became untenable and um yeah, I was kind of and you know I I'm one of the, the last doctors to really try to have that that dream of hanging a shingle, you know, it's like I'm gonna hang up my signs like sure. I'm a doctor and come on, y'all come to see me. You know, it's like, I'm like one of the last doctors to do that. Cause most, most doctors come out today. They don't try to go into solo practice, which is what I did. I mean, I did go in with a, one doctor when I first came out for about four years and then I started my own practice, but it's v- very few doctors go out into practice by themselves now because it's just too hard. You have to have economies of scale, be with a big old group so you can, you know, save money on supplies and overhead and, payroll and all of that. So I'm I'm like the dinosaurs. I'm one of those dinosaurs um, who, you know, like that, that you know, I had a friend of mine whose doctor whose uh, father was a grandfather was an obstetrician and he pretty much delivered babies until he died. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of those last breed, <laughs> old timers. So let's,
1: let's talk about that briefly. Um, your practice and you had a practice that focused on women. Yeah, health, obstetri- right? obstetrics and gynecology, Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. what prompted you to specialize in that area of integrative medicine? Because you said you went back and, and got um, specialty degrees in those two areas.
0: Well, you know, I, I would have been board certified in obstetrics and gynecology anyway, because that kind of became a thing with insurance companies. If you're not board certified, you can't be on their you know, HMO or or plan pretty much. Uh, And, you know, the other doctors who were older than me, they got kind of grandfathered in, so they didn't have to do board certifications every however many years it is. We're kind of doing it every year now. Um, So I was going to probably be board certified if I wanted to be on anybody's insurance plan anyway. um, My desire to be in holistic medicine was something I did on my own you know, I did a lot of courses and self-study and and sat for the board exam for integrative holistic medicine and and passed that on my own. That was something I did for me, just like I'm doing this cannabis for me. I mean, I'm putting my money forth to educate myself and to learn how to do that. But um, yeah, besides the regular old surgery and medicine, I really got Um, enamored with holistic integrative functional medicine, trying to get to the cause of people's illness instead of just giving them drugs to suppress their symptoms. You know, it really satisfied me to find out what's really the problem instead of just trying to cover it up. So that's the primary
1: difference. When you talk about integrative holistic functional, you're talking Mm -hmm. about going beyond the surface of the problem. You know, I mean... I guess, I mean, that suddenly makes sense in a different sort of way for me for why you would be engaged with the endocannabinoid system. Like why everybody's focused on um, how the external world and how we respond to the external world vis-a-vis our endocannabinoid system. So, um. Well, before I jump to one of the pieces that I read of yours about how to care for the endocannabinoid system, I want to just talk about the creation of plants for life. You know, that must be tied to your desire to educate yourself on integrative functional and holistic medicine, right? It's an outcome of that, right?
0: Yes, I I was really at a um, cannabis, a, a local cannabis advocacy party, really. Um, Dr. Uma Thurman, I mean, Dr. Uma uh, uh, Dab- Dab- Dabalon, I can't remember her last name, but I call her Dr. Uma. Uh, she's, you know, well-known, um, lives in Boston, um, very big cannabis advocate. because we were up at her house uh, at a party and this young man uh, named Oski Shivaniye, we kind of hit it off. And he is a Jamaican herbalist, and he wanted to get together and, and collaborate. So that's kind of how Plans, Plans for Life came along, uh, came to into being. He, you know, wanted, I kind of, it reminds me kind of sort of like uh, Martha Stewart and, and Snoop Dogg. That's, that's how I kind of see us as a pair. Remember that, everybody. Bringing yeah. it, bring it, bring those two worlds together is like, you know, me here in medicine. And I've always had one foot in the conventional world and one foot in the holistic world trying to help patients bridge that. And, and he, too, is, is a, a herbalist trying to bridge this world. And he's also a cannabis warrior. And he, along with um, our uh, other colleague, Marilyn Pierce, our registered nurse, who's a cannabis advocate, we're trying to create. Um, we were working on a master class, but because of COVID and having trouble getting together, trying to film it, we are trying to condense it into a book. So that's what we're working on right now. I see. I see. And tell us what plants stands for. Plant-based lifestyle and ancient nutritional treatment strategies uh, and life is spelled with a Y. So it's, it's, it's really, it's trying to get into a plant-based lifestyle. So we talk about that as well as cannabis um, in, in holistic living. That's, that's, that's the subject of the book.
1: Okay. So uh, I was on the website trying to understand because you all offer, the business offers consultations. So, as a um as a person who takes medicine for hypertension, is there anything that your uh plants for life would be able to offer me? You know, I mean, I don't have a problem with eating, so what kind of what All
0: right well well not 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 plants for life yet because we're still really a startup, but i I do consultations through my individual website, um, trying to help people move from pharmaceuticals to um cannabis or cbd in a more holistic uh lifestyle. So that's and from I, Dr. Felicia. Yes, that's from the yes. Dr. Felicia
1: website. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. okay. So 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 in the context of the Dr. Felicia website, you do, is it telemedicine or it's patient?
0: Yes. So it's telemedicine. It's it's telemedicine. Yeah. It's it's a a HIPAA compliant uh, platform that I interact with, with the patient and, you know, go over their medical history and uh, medications and diet and stressors from in the past and present. And pretty much, you know, what I did when I had a, a brick and mortar is, you know, I look at the entire patient. I don't just um, look at their symptoms. I look at everything that has been going on with them, which is part of the reason why my my business model kind of wasn't working anymore. Because I'm I'm trying to give Cadillac uh, service you know, service for Pinto prices and it's just not, you know. I'm
1: talking about not, a
0: Pinto. Yeah. No. <laughs> People I say, what's okay Hyundai. Um, I'm I, trying to give I remember Tilsa <laughs> service for Hyundai uh prices and it just wasn't working.
1: Yeah it, I mean but I that I still think that that is well two things. And I'm on my soapbox now. I think that that's a problem. I understand what you're saying and I understand why that would have been a problem in a traditional capitalist um, system. And even, you know, as a startup, because I'm a startup myself, I understand that, you know, trying to figure out how to, um, how to fuel your purpose, you know, your reason for being and your vision for creating that. It still also has to, you got to win the hearts and mind and the pocketbooks of your prospective clients. And that's sometimes a little bit tricky because a lot of the people that you want to serve, one, don't know that you have something that may help them or two, don't haven't yet placed a value on that so that they're willing
0: to pay for it. It's true. It's, you know, the thing about holistic integrated functional medicine and all of that, it's like it really, really could help a lot of people, the, the, the poorest, sickest people, but those are tend to be the same people who are poor people of color who can't afford the testing and the care. It's like my, you know, a lot of my white patients understood what I was talking about and could afford it and they were all about it you know some of my other patients who didn't have that kind of cash you know they couldn't you know take advantage of some of that advanced testing and so i, I saw that all the time it's like the people who really 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 need what i'm trying to give can't afford it you know it's, it's so it's it's that's just it, it was all it's always heartbreaking yeah i i still
1: haven't given up on trying to uh Honor what I think is my gift of being able to be a bridge between a lot of this high level knowledge that a lot of thought leaders like you and um, clinicians and, you know, academicians, regulators and all are working to create, and the people who are in community in closer proximity to the masses who really need this information. I mean, particularly, I believe now that. Um, CBD is sold in gas stations and in Rite Aid and all, but I mean, the products are already with the public who don't really have the background to determine whether it's good or not, you know?
0: Right. And that's, that's, you know, I, I have speak, I've spoken to physicians, you know, I I've lectured at Morehouse School of Medicine, you know, to their residents and medical students um about the endocannabinoid system, but it's it's the people, the general public that I really want to communicate yeah. uh, to, because it's it's this education is being obstructed by Big Pharma. and it's they're doing everything they can <laughs> to stop it from happening. And it's 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 challenging. It, it really is challenging.
1: Now, do you think that that kind of stop it from happening um, point of view is a function of the uh, of of cannabis still being considered a Schedule I drug at the federal level? I mean, do you think
0: that is used used as an excuse for institutions of higher learning uh, to not embrace it because they say we might lose our funding or something to that effect. And then you have big pharma, you know, giving money to foundations. um, You know, like the CDC has a foundation, and um, you know these um, nonprofits that are supposed to be promoting health, you know, are being getting getting money from corporate interests or entities that are exact opposite of what those nonprofits are about. And and for example, you know, soda pop companies may give money for research to look at. Um, sugar or something to that effect, but not look at their product. It's like, or they want you to look at low fat stuff, but don't look at sugar because you know our product has sugar in it. You know, um, I, I remember hearing the story. Um, Dr. Mark Hyman, who's a big, de- a big, big deal in uh, functional medicine, uh, was wanted to talk to an incoming class at an HBCU about health and about the food industry and, and Big Ag and all of that. And the promoters were all happy and wanted him to come and speak to them because they were saying like, at least 50% of the incoming freshman class has a chronic disease already. It's like, what? And then because of some big corporate entity on the board who has vending machines with their product all over the campus, Mark Hyman was stopped from coming. They would not allow him to speak on campus because he was saying things that would, you know, put this product in a bad light. So those are that's an example of how big dollars stop the public from getting the education. That's, that's how they do it. They get on these boards of higher learning, uh, you know, any place, so that they can manipulate how these nonprofits and other entities operate, including the CDC.
1: Well, there, you said it. You know, I mean, (laughs) we rely upon them and think of them as a, an objective, an objective, um, organization. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you something about, I have some friends wealthy, uh, back East who have switched to concierge medicine. Has that ever occurred
0: about that? I, I, I did try that before I closed my doors. I did try like a hybrid uh, program, offered it to my, my patients as a hybrid kind of thing where they can ha- keep their insurance. Right. Uh, and just do it like a, a concierge thing as well. Um, but it didn't catch on. And, you know, you know, when you <laughs> they say you, why buy the cow if you, you know getting the milk already? It's like, you know, I've already given them the Cadillac <laughs> service for years. And, you know, it's kind of hard to come out of pocket you are already getting this high level of service for your copay, and so that was part of the problem. It's like you know, I, I, I my practice was open for over twenty years, and you know, people be with you that long. It's hard for them to um, want to you know come out of pocket. It is it is it's not it's not just a matter of want. It's it's not. And I mean, people are barely hanging on, you know, with their insurance. I mean, I I noticed over the years before I closed that people's out-of-pocket um expenses were going up co-pays were getting bigger deductibles were getting bigger for pregnancy you know they had coinsurance that we had to put people on on payment plans to pay for their maternity care because it was just that big of a chunk of change wow. that, and these are people with insurance so i get it i understand and i and that's that was part of my disgust with the whole insurance system it's like it's like more, it, it, people shouldn't have to choose between eating and their health. It's just, it's ridiculous. Right.
1: I agree with you. Well, let's um, bring the conversation somewhat to a close, although I have other questions. I want to talk about the idea of redefining wellness. You know, like I think that um, at the intersection of health and wellness and cannabis, you know, the cannabis industry, that they're, you know, for me, that was like an opportunity to be involved in something that is new and, uh, you know, culturally shifting, you know, what people believe and accept. I don't know how long it's really going to take. It's not going to be quick, that's for sure. But it's quick. Well, let's see. Anyway, leave that part alone. Uh, I'm wanting to know what you're thinking about the future, like how will we redefine wellness at the intersection of cultural change, the cannabis industry, science that will back that, and the ability for people in web 3.0 to kind of um, use their past to make their future. You know, I mean, on some level I mean, there are still gatekeepers. There will always be gatekeepers. But, you know, what do you see it happening? What do you see happening, say, next five years? And how will we we, um, begin to consume the idea that you can actually take care of your endocannabinoid system?
0: Well, that's always been my my mission in life is to empower my patients to help them realize how much power they have over they help, their health. You know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, diabetes runs in my family, so I know I'm going to get it. And that's not true. Your genes are just your potential. You can turn genes on or off depending on what you think, what you eat, how you move your body or don't move your body. So you have a lot more control over your health than you think. And in terms of cannabis, um, this plant is the most remarkable plant I've ever had the pleasure and privilege of working with. In terms of what it can do, um, on on average, it can replace five medications that people are on, which is extremely important for our seniors. Um, if people would be more conscious about what they put what they're putting in their body, on their body, what they're drinking, what air they're breathing pay more attention to who they're electing to office because people may think that politics has nothing to do with me, but people are passing laws continuously on every aspect of your being, from your body to where you live, to the air you're breathing. I, 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 I hope that people will be more involved in our, who, who they're choosing as our leaders because they are the ones who are making decisions which destroy our environment, our food supply, um, our access to this plant. I do think the plant will be freed uh, within five years. I, I, I believe that. Um, I think that in this country, there's been, so, well, in the world, there's so much pain right now. And this, this pandemic has showed us that this corporate way of being is not in our best interests. It only benefits the wealthy and the powerful. It does not. It is not working for regular folk, and and that is why you see these the, was the, the big the big resignation. People yes, are seeing the great, those. the great resignation. You know, I I I really don't have to work two and three jobs just to make it. There, people are beginning to wake up, and I I hope that this will translate into other areas of their life, including their health. And I think that. Yes, I you know big companies are going to take over cannabis um, in terms of these multi-state operators, um, just like you know all the the facebooks and twitters and whatnot of the world. The consolidation is is part of it, but I think there's still going to be a segment of cannabis um, small growers, craft growers, people who actually love and care about this plant, who respect this plant, who don't just see it as a a money maker. Uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be us. I'll be in I'll be with those people, <laughs> you know, who care and respect the plant and who want to help it use help it to help us regain our health. And and that's kind of what I see for the plant. I, I see it being embraced by more and more people as we get the word out. And that's what I hope.
1: Well, I thank you. We have been talking to Dr. Felicia Dawson who I will be looking forward to the people that she's going to be with and for people like her because I'm going to need consultation just like everybody else. And um, I won't be necessarily only going to my doctor for that. You know, I'm going to be looking for people who have a broader interpretation about how to be healthy and what wellness really is. So thank you so much for joining me and Mary Jane today.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Patricia. I I really enjoyed it.
1: Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. Pass the word, share the love, like, subscribe, tell a friend can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode thank you